Tonight, our message comes from Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to pick up with a few verses that we used this morning, and it's a message entitled, A Word of Caution, A Word of Caution. If you found your scripture, would you stand to honor the reading of God's holy word? We just read these first three verses this morning, and we'll read them again tonight. And you, writes Paul, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven, having forgiven us all our transgressions, trespasses, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to a cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive to the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that for the next moments that you will reside in this room with us and you will send us your spirit and your love and your grace and your hope and your understanding. And I pray that you will speak a word into our hearts that will cause us to walk closer to you. That will cause us to walk more carefully in this world, that we will not be derailed or distracted, that we can follow you completely and wholly, and people can see you in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I call your attention to that last phrase that says, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Is it fair to say that the indulgence of the flesh has a way of running rampant over us? I mean, that it'll just pull on us, it'll work on us. And tonight, the message is entitled, A Word of Caution. Would you put your attention to the screen? You see all these signs up here? These are all signs that I found on the Internet when I put, when I search for cautions. All of us are familiar with at least some of these things, and we know that 
We take heed when we see a word of caution because if you don't, you can get hurt. I mean, caution, it can be, you can either get hurt or killed sometimes because the things that you're being warned about are both dangerous and deadly. Now, you can go ahead, David. Now, as I look at this, at this text, and, and I think about Paul sitting down to write this letter to the church at Colossae, he recognized something. He recognized that there were some outside influences beginning to permeate the church, beginning to permeate the congregation. As all of us should say, hmm, we know about that. For you see, many times instead of the church impacting its community, many times the community begins to impact the church. And Paul was rightly concerned. I just want to say this to us, and I want to explain it so that we can, that we can kind of get our hands around it. The philosophies of this world continually try to get God's people to compromise their theology. The philosophies of this world, this culture, tries to get God's church to compromise what we believe. I mean, quite honestly, it's very rare that people will walk up to you if they know you're a believer in Christ and say, you know, God's not really alive. God's dead. You know, uh, there's, there's another way to heaven besides Jesus. Most of the time they don't do that. You know what they do? They come in and, and they go, um, you know, I understand you believe what you believe, but don't you think, don't you think that that's a little bit harsh to think that Jesus is the only way? I mean, the only way. Don't you think there has to be other ways? Isn't it a little? Don't you think it's a little harsh that that people who don't accept Jesus go to hell? Don't don't. And they begin to try to. Or, or don't you think your stance on homosexuality and immorality? Is a little harsh. Don't you think God loves all people? Isn't it okay for people to love? I mean, I mean, the truth is, the society comes to us not with these big God is dead type of things. They come to us just simply trying to get us to compromise just a little. And I will say this to you. When you choose to compromise just a little, you have opened the floodgate to a lot. So when this comes our way, what happens? How do we deal with it? Well, we first have, we have to watch closely. We have to look out and be on our guard. And I think that, I think that as we look today that we'll see some things that will give us this word of caution. If you're really going to stand against the evils of this world, first of all, you have to deal with what I'm calling your perspective. Your perspective. Your perspective on an issue or with a person Totally colors how you respond. You do know that, don't you? I mean, think about it. If somebody comes up to you and they tell you that you're doing something wrong, who they are and your perspective of them is whether you hear them or not. If they come up and they tell you you're doing something wrong, well, here's what I'm going to say. Or they give you that look. Does everybody know that look? You know they're looking at you and they're acting like they like you and they're acting like they support you. But, you know, you see what's in their face. You know what's in their can I get an amen? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, they think they're fooling the world, but they're not fooling anybody. But when they come up to you and they're going to say, well, I want to help you a little bit. And you, what do you really know? What they really want to do is correct you. 
However, when a good friend comes up to you and he goes, you know what, I've seen a blind spot in your life. All of a sudden you're able to hear them. It's kind of like the phone. My favorite example is the phone. I don't know if I, if I bless the person or curse the person that came up with caller ID. I mean, you know it. And don't, how many people, it drives me crazy. You call my phone and I pick it up, whether you're mad at me or not, and, and I see that it's you. Whether you're mad at me or not, I'm going to take the call because you thought enough to call and I'm going to take it. However, my most frustrating part of my entire family is that they take this phone and they go, I don't want to talk to them. <laughs> I just, that frust- but you know what? When you see that caller ID, your perspective determines. It's a marketer, telemarketer. Uh, don't raise your hand. But how many are not going to answer it if you know it's a telemarketer? You see what I'm talking about? Your perspective really colors how you handle things, how you do things, how you say things. When trouble comes our way and it's going to, your perspective is going to, is going to uh, um, color how you handle it. And I'm going to suggest to you the reason I don't felt led to go back to verses 13 through 16 is because in there we find a perspective that can give you courage to handle whatever comes your way, whether it's a death, whether it's a tr- another tragedy, whether it's a lost marriage, a lost job, lost child. And I will suggest to you that in this will give you perspective to handle life. The first part that we find in verse 13 is what I call the plan of God. The plan of God. You see, God's plan is to restore every person to himself. If you look there, it says, and you were dead in trespasses and sin. You see, this, this is what it means. It means that plan of God, he wants to redeem everybody, but he knows where everybody is. He knows what everybody is, and he knows what it's going to take. And he has a re- plan to revive what Jesus said. You know, some people say I'm wrong about this. Jesus said that God so loved the world. God has a plan to redeem and restore everybody into a relationship with him. And in that process, here's what he does. He he forgives us of our sin. It's all written right here. He secures our home in heaven. He creates in us a new creation. That's his, a new creation. That's his plan. That's what he came to do. He came to save us from the pits of hell. He came to plant our feet inside the portals of heaven. He came to make a way for us and a place for us. But here's our problem. We are sinners, and sin and sinners are not allowed in the presence of holy God. But he's got a plan. From the time they committed sin in the Garden of Eden, his plan has been enforced. You just want to know the truth. He had the plan before then. He just didn't have to unveil it until the, the sin came into the world. And what is that plan? The second thing that I see in the Scripture, the plan starts with you were dead in your trespasses of sin, and God made us alive together with him. That's his plan. That's what he wants to do. Now, how did he do that? That's the second thing that I see here, what I call the provision of God. God made provision for us. If you look at that, how did he do that? God made us alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, and by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. So let me just pause there a second. I said that I would speak to this tonight. I want you to think about that. 
that not only did he not only did he cancel our debt, he destroyed the record of our debt. The big thing among churches is when you take out a note and build a building or something, one day you have that note burning service. Now, I hope that everybody in here knows that when you pay that building off, you better not burn the actual note. You better make you a copy and burn. Because on earth, in fallen, in fallen earth, here's what's going to happen. You burn that note and the bank's going to come back and say, you owe us some more money and you have nothing to, to show for it. But here's the deal. We can trust God. Not only did he cancel our debt of sin, not only did he free us from sin, but he burned the very evidence that we ever owed a debt. How did he do that? The Bible goes on to tell us he took it and he nailed it to the old rugged cross. And when he nailed it to the old rugged cross, freedom could come. In fact, I want to say this to you this way. I think I've probably said it before because it runs so it runs so deep in my heart. The way and the depth of his forgiveness is this. If you go to him and you say, Lord, I have sinned, and this is my sin, and you shouldn't name it. If you're going to count your blessings one by one, you ought to count your sins. Name the sins one by one. You go to him and say, Lord, I did this thing. I spoke ill of somebody. I got angry, and, and I sinned with my anger, or whatever it was. And you just say, Lord, I, 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 want to, I want to give that to you. I repent of it, and I ask you to forgive me of it. And he comes back, and he says, you're forgiven. If you walk back to him ten minutes later and go, Lord, you know that sin we were just talking about? He's going to go, what sin? Because the Bible tells us that he takes that sin and he throws it as far as the east is from the west. Now, that's a long way. And he drops it in the sea of forgetfulness and he remembers it no more. And the old black preacher said he takes that sin and throws it as far as the east is from the west, drops it from the, in the sea of forgetfulness, and he posts a no fishing sign. You see, the truth is, God's provision is complete for us. His compensation for sin is death. So when, when, he, when he sent Jesus to the cross, and never forget that, I get tired of people saying, God looked all through heaven for somebody to, to go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. That's a lie of the pit of hell. God chose Jesus, and he sent Jesus. And he gave Jesus, because Jesus was the only one that could pay sin's price. When he nailed it to the tree, Jesus became what's called in the Bible the propitiation for our sin. God's provision for us. And you know what? When you look at the cross, here's what you see. You know God has a plan to redeem mankind like Robert sang so wonderfully this morning. By the way, I've already told Whitney, we've got to do that one again. You see, he wants to redeem mankind, and the way he did it was through the cross. And in that picture of the cross, not only do you see the plan of God, not only do you see the provision of God, but just like Paul, just like Paul continues the story here, you see the power of God. You see the power of God. Look at verse 15. This is what he did. He displays his power in three realms. He disarmed the rulers and the authority. 
He displayed these rulers to open shame, and he defeated these rulers in Jesus. Scripture tells us that the evil one, I don't get, I don't care what you call him, you call him Satan, you call him Lucifer, you call him uh, the devil, you call him whatever you want to, but just know this, he's the prince of the world, and the prince of the world, under the watchful eye of God, can evoke much havoc. If you don't believe that, that's not my theology. Well, go read Job. All Satan needed to attack Job was God's permission. And by the way, you know, he took some life and limb and property. But watch this. Satan's weapons are powerful against us. But they are powerless against the power of God. When we give him our lives... Now, in our lives, Satan has been basically disarmed because he doesn't have superior weapons. You see, God displayed on the cross his love. God displayed his power on the cross. And on the cross, he disarmed, he disarmed those rulers. He disarmed the evil one. You know what disarming means, don't you? He took away all his lethal weapons. Hello? And then he put him to open shame. Here's my take on this, and you don't have to believe this. That's fine. I've heard people say, in fact, somebody stood in this pulpit, and I was alarmed, and said, Satan didn't know anything and didn't have anything to do with the crucifixion. Well, the problem with that is at least two times in the New Testament that the Bible says that Satan entered Judas. And if Satan didn't want Jesus crucified, he had, a, he had his uh, opportunity to stop him. The truth is... Satan was in on it, and he thought God had finally made the one mistake of his life. He had sent Jesus to the world, put him in a human body, and Satan thought, I can kill a human. And he did. And at the cross, I believe that in in all hell, as much as they can, they were throwing a party because the one that God had chosen was dead. Can you imagine how the demons felt when the earth began to shake and the stone began to roll away and Jesus stepped out? Can you imagine it? That's your perspective. You want a perspective of how to handle what the world throws your way? There is your perspective. The plan of God, the provision of God, and the power of God. In a word, we are free in Him. Okay, I can tell you're really excited about that. That's fun. But now here's the deal. Let's not ever lose a sight of the fact that we've been warned because we do have problems. The second thing I see here that picks up in verse 13 is your problem. And it could be problems, plural. But the truth is, being free is not without its share of difficulties. Even the freedom that we find in Christ. If when you made your decision for Christ, somebody told you your problems were over, they lied to you. The truth is, both inside the church and outside the church, and this is a sad commentary on the church, there are going to be people who criticize you, people who judge you, people who attempt to derail you, people who attempt to distract you, 
Because you see, many people, and Baptists had the list, many people believe Christianity, living the life of a Christian, is completing a list of do's and don'ts. And if we just complete those lists of do's and don'ts, then we will make it to heaven and we, <clears throat> excuse me, we will please God. The problem is, this is not Christianity at all, a list of do's and don'ts. In southern Galatia, the church had been started with the gospel. Jesus was enough. When you come to Jesus and put your faith and your trust in him, you believe in him, it changes your heart and life, and the church was growing strong. But all of a sudden, outside influences came in. We call them Judaizers, and they came in and said, oh, that's good. You got Jesus, and that's good, but now what you need? And always be careful. When somebody tells you, you got Jesus, but now what you need? Be careful. Word of caution. But now what you need to do is you need to go back and you need to submit to Old Testament circumcision. Now what you need to do is instead of worshiping on Sunday, you need to go back and worship on the Lord's Day. Now instead of letting the Holy Spirit lead within you, you need to go back and keep those that rabbinical law, those 600 laws. Excuse me. And the and the truth is, is that is that in southern Galatia they were trying to get they were trying to get people to go back to the law. I say Baptists like to do this because we love to write down our rules and our regulations and of what we do. And the truth is, the truth is, is sometimes it just says, "My oh, Jesus really isn't enough." And I just want to say this to you. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you go, if you have Jesus, He's enough. Jesus is enough. It doesn't take the right diet, let no one pass judgment on you and question of food and drink and or regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. You know, they were trying to say you should eat this, you shouldn't eat that, and Jesus has said it was okay. And and and, and then you can go on to baptism and, and, and people will say you need to be baptized. And we talked about that this morning and it, and it's important. It's a part of obedience, but it's not required to be saved. And and when you get to these verses, verses sixteen through nineteen, what you discover is Ephesus is having the same problem to a different degree as the churches in southern Galatia. People were trying to straighten them out. And people will try to straighten us out. You see, the truth is, the truth is, is that I'll just give you two thoughts as we think about our problems that we face. First of all, people will watch you and they will criticize you for what you do and what you don't do. You ever felt like you was in a trap? You felt like you was a trap? They're going to criticize you. And I'm just going to tell you, they're going to criticize you whatever you do. So you better try to do what the pleasing of the Lord. You know, your job is not to please the preacher, and the preacher's job is not to please you. I understand that's a shock to many people. You know, I'm really not being funny. There are people who feel like, yeah, preacher... Yeah, I don't like any. In fact, I'm going to just tell you, sister church around here went visiting. They came up to a house, 
this summer. And by the way, all us preachers know each other. Y'all got me? Okay. Y'all got we we know each other. We we get along. We talk together every night, and we pray together and have lunch together. He walked up to this lady and said, um, we're out visiting for our church. Well, I go to Hueytown Baptist. He said, man, I know your pastor. She said, well, you can have him. Do you know what? You may think that's cute, but that hurts this church. Does it hurt me? I don't know. It might, but I'm going to tell you what it does hurt. It hurts God's kingdom, and it hurts this church. But you see, there are people that think well, we're here to please them, and people are going to criticize you no matter what you do and, what, and about what you don't do. Because you're not ever going to do enough to please everybody. What, so here's the deal. We, we focus our attention on Jesus, and we try to please him, and just kind of let the chips fall where they may. Because you see, the Scripture's telling us here in verses 16, it talks about the diet, it talks about the days. Under the old days, they, they worshipped on Saturday. Under After Jesus' resurrection, they worshipped on Sunday. And by the way, Sunday's not the Christian Sabbath. Sunday is the Lord's Day. It's Resurrection Day. It's Victory Day. It's Victory Over Death Day. But never make, never be confused. People are going to, confuse, going to criticize you and judge you because of what you do or don't do. People are going to judge you about what you believe or don't believe. Now, in verse 18, you kind of get a snippet of that, that no one disqualifies you, and send it, insisting on asceticism. What in the world? Well, that's the belief that you can achieve goodness by abstaining from worldly pleasures. Asceticism. And then it says the worship of angels. That's kind of crazy because the Bible tells us that the angels are servants. And here's what I want to say to us is that the troublemakers, those critical people, really have some real deep-seated problems. Brother Jerry, you want to tell us? Well, sure. It tells you right here. It says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels. And they'll go, because they'll go on in detail, watch this, they're puffed up, which means they're arrogant, they're without reason, and they're out without reason because they have a sensuous mind. And they have a sensuous mind because they don't hold fast to the head of the church, which is Christ, the centerpiece of the body. You know, you can talk to people and you can understand their relationship with Christ. But here's what I'm going to say to you. People who are in sin, who are outside of Christ, I probably said this to you a dozen times in eight and a half years, people who are in sin and outside of Christ, their mind doesn't work right. They don't see, you know, they, without reason. They don't see the reason. And you go, why? Because sin has taken control of their life. If you, in this building, <clears throat> if you are living and walking in sin, chances are you're not thinking right. How do I know that? <laughs> Nobody was considered a man after God's own heart after David, more than David. And when David, just he, didn't, he just didn't go off to war. That was his sin. And after that, everything he did, he went up on the, instead of being in the battlefront at work, he was up lounging around on the rooftop. He saw Bathsheba, he lusted after Bathsheba, and the sin began to pile in, and he justified it every step of the way. That's what happened to us. That's the word of caution, is that not to be pulled away.
Now you say, Brother Jerry, you're going to end it there? Well, no. <clears throat> Let me just give us a, a way out. You know, Alicia said that God will put more on us than we can bear. And people go, well, that's not right. The Bible says that he won't put more on us than we can bear. That's not what it says at all. He says he'll, he'll not pour, put more on us than we can bear without providing a way of escape. And his way of escape is him. And that's how we'll end tonight, your path. When the troubles come, when the difficulties come, remember your perspective. Remember the firm ground that your life was planted on. And, and find the path. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, the, the, one, of the, one of the most encouraging things for us to know is that when troubles come, which way do I go? Who do we believe on? Where do we, where do we look? And Jesus says, I am the way, I am the path, I am the truth, I am the response, I am the life, I am the answer. Come to me. You know what, isn't it interesting how God puts things together? Now, Whitney and I sat down at Wednesday and we talked through our services today, which is going to be a really good thing. But she didn't know what I was preaching. In fact, on Wednesday, I didn't know what I was preaching tonight. I knew the, I knew the Scripture, but I didn't have it put together. That's this morning. Here, here's the words that we sang tonight. You're my strength when I'm weak. I'm a treasure that I keep. You are my all. You want a path to get you free? You want a path to overcome Satan? You want the path that helps you? Here's the truth. First, your path. I'm going to give it to you in three quick, simple steps. First of all, know the truth. Jesus is the truth. Know the truth. Verse 20, it says, If with Christ... John 14 that I just quoted, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. When I am weak, when I, when I need you, you are my strength, you are my treasure. And this is none other but Jesus. He is the truth. If we wear the name of Jesus, we best know the truth. He calls us to know Him, not just know Him peripherally, but know Him intimately. I'll just tell you this way. To know him like the word know means in the Bible. Adam knew Eve, and they got a boy. Before Joseph knew Mary, she was with child. Here's what I want to tell you. We're called to know him in the deep part of our life. Not just to know his words. That's one thing. Not just to seek his will. That's another thing. But watch this. When you know him intimately, you know his ways. You know how you know somebody's ways? You spend time with them. Deb and I have been married a little over 39 years. I understand that's a rookie in this bunch. But you know what? When somebody says, you know, your wife did thus and so, I can with some certainty go, that's not right. Well, how do you know it's not right? Because I've lived with a woman 39 years. When you spend that much time with somebody, you know how they respond. Know the truth. Know Jesus. The second thing is see the truth. Watch this. You know Jesus. It says, if with Christ. Mm -hmm. So know Jesus. And then see the truth. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive, 
Do you submit to regulations according to human precepts and teachings? You know, the, the truth is we must see the difference. We have to see the difference in the philosophies and the teachings of this world and focus on Jesus. Too often what the world thinks, what the world wants, is really what gets us off course, What really what leads us into our sin. Let me just give you for instance. 25 or 30 years ago, Jerry Falwell, y'all remember him? He released a video that was very offensive to many, believe, many churches. It was called The Gay Agenda. In that, in that VHS movie, showed risque pictures of homosexual parades and homosexual events. And in that movie, he said a lot of things. Some of the things he said is they have an agenda to be, to be uh, recognized on the basis of their sexuality. He sent warnings out on that little 30-minute video that many people ignored. Whatever you think about Jerry Falwell, not only was he a visionary, but in this case, he was a prophet. Because we listened and we didn't respond until today where it's no longer we love the homosexual, but we try to lead the homosexual to Christ. Today, in fact, in just the next month or two, maybe the next business meeting, that we will have to look at some statements to protect our belief system. We'll do that in a business meeting. You see, folks, the world is trying to pull us away from our foundations. Our kids are taught in school that homosexuality is just an alternate lifestyle. People are born that way, and they'll. And the truth is, there's no science that backs that up, and certainly not God's word that backs that up. Here's what I want to say to you: We need to know the truth. We need to see the truth in the master's class of the world. Jesus is the truth. He is the master teacher. And if we're, over, if we're overcome the problems of this world, we have to know Him. We have to see and see His truth. And finally, we have to live His truth. Questions asked in the Scripture, why do you still submit to earthly traditions? When you read verse 21, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, those do nots refer to the traditions of man. And the message is this, be careful. Be careful about compromise. Because, as I said earlier, the world will not ask you to abandon your faith, but they will ask you to adjust your faith to these side issues. They will ask you to go along and get along. The answer is to know the truth and to be able to literally see the truth that we can live out the truth. God says it, and what God says is settled. It matters not what our world says. It's at this point that we as Christ followers, we come to a place of examination. When you realize how subtly the world attacks and distracts us. When you realize that they do it in such a way by just convincing us that just a little compromise is okay. 
It is at that point that our examination comes because we come face to face with the one who is the truth and who gives the truth and expects us to live the truth. If you're face to face with him today, if you're face to face with him today, can you stand there and look him in the eye and say, Lord, as best as I know how, I've lived for you. People who've been around me, they know you. People who I've spoken with, they know about you because of how I lived. The word of caution is today, troubles are coming. Don't be sucked in by the world. Let's pray together.